All right, this is uh, <clears throat> Driving Theology, and this is my second take on this one. <clears throat> Something happened uh, on my way to work this morning. I got a, my, my phone was on manner mode, and I got a call. And as soon as a call uh, comes through, the recording stops automatically, and you have to manually restart it to get it started again, even after the call is done. Well, if you don't hear the call and don't notice the call come in, what it does is shuts off the recording, and then you just keep talking to yourself like a dork uh, as you're riding, driving for the next 20 minutes and record nothing. Uh, so instead of trying to go back and recapture uh, where I left off, I'm just going to start it all over again. I'm not driving this time. It's during my lunch break, and I'm I'm parked, so I may uh, get to go a little longer than usual, since I'm not uh, uh, restricted by the time uh, as much. Um, but I just don't think I could quite recapture what I went through, so I think I'll start all over and uh, just assume that I've said none of it, uh, which makes it easier for me to smoothly go through the podcast. So this is going to be the second uh, parking theology <laughs> that I've done uh, for the same reason getting these uh, ghost phone calls uh, in the middle of recording. If you don't know, uh, driving theology is uh, usually uh, me driving somewhere and recording my thoughts as I drive uh, off the cuff uh, without any preparation really. Sometimes I have something uh, on my heart that I would like to talk about. Sometimes I just talk and, and see where things go. Uh, today's uh, one of the uh, former thing, former types, where I do have something I'd like to talk about, and I'm actually pretty excited to talk about it, which is the movie The Shack, uh, which opened last week. Uh, this is a movie that is causing great controversy, uh, perhaps just as much controversy or more as the original book uh, stirred up. Uh, I was uh, given a copy of the book several years ago from somebody, and I read it, and uh, enjoyed it, but I don't think I really took that much from it, per se. Uh, I'm not sure I really got it. I wasn't really in the right place to get it. Um, but I enjoyed it and, and actually passed it on to, to other people nonetheless. And and uh, and then uh, a couple things lined up to where I, I was reading uh, and uh, recommended to read books by some of the people involved in the in the project of The Shack. Uh, the Shack is written, of course, by Paul Young, but there are other people that were involved uh, in the uh, uh, editing uh, and uh, marketing and publishing, uh, people who I respect a lot and have been listening to on podcasts, and that's namely Wayne Jacobson and Brad Cummings, who, uh, along with, along with uh, Paul Young, uh, produced the book themselves. So just to give some background on The Shack, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I've, I've got a bit of allergies. This is allergy season here in Japan, so if I sound kind of uh, stopped up, uh, please forgive me. And if I sniffle, oca sniffle occasionally. Um, so the book was uh, written back, I want to say, in 2007 or 2008. And it was not originally a book that... <clears throat> was written to be published. Sorry, I'm going to have to cough here. <coughs> it wasn't written to be published as a book, but was written uh, to be just distributed amongst uh, some family members and some, some close friends. 
by Paul Young, uh, with the the hopes that uh, he would be able to pass on kind of his spiritual legacy, I think, to his kids, uh, and so he could be understood better, uh, and and perhaps so he could uh, work through some of his uh, theology as he wrote the book. Uh, you'd have to ask him exactly why he wrote it, but that's that's the story as I remember it. And then Brad Cummings and uh, uh, Wayne Jacobson saw the book. Uh, well, not really a book in the beginning, but saw the, the initial draft, and they loved the idea and the concept, and they decided right there uh, that it should be expanded and become a movie sometime. So they they got involved and helped edit and, and perhaps uh, uh, refine the book a bit with Paul Young. Uh, Wayne Jacobson uh, had been a writer, uh, and uh, all three of these guys were were former pastors, I think, at the time. But they saw the beauty in the approach that uh, I think Paul Young had in mind and decided that many more people would be able to uh, benefit from it. And so they got involved in the shack and they started, uh, first of all, they got the book written and then started looking for people to publish uh, Young's book and couldn't find anybody. And they went to many, many publishers, Christian publishers, could not find anybody that that thought that the book would be successful. And so nobody wanted to publish it. And so they believed in the project so much that they pulled together their own resources. And I think each one paid for a third of the cost of getting uh, the shack published. And so they published it themselves, created their own uh, company to publish it called Windblown Media. And they published The Shack, and it was a, a big hit. And so they published many more copies, uh, and it became a New York Times bestseller uh, and sold millions of copies worldwide and became kind of a phenomenon. And, of course, now the publishers were lining up to see if they could publish the book, and, and Windblown Media has has uh, hung on to it, uh, not, not allowing other people to publish it. Uh, and it's done very well. And now we're in the, the process, uh, well, no, no, we're not now in the process, but then they undertook the process of ter- turning the uh, book into the movie. So the book came first, and then they uh, started working on it becoming a movie, uh, which is where we are now. The movie just came out, and it's it's a Hollywood movie, um, uh, and it's a much bigger production, I think, than they thought maybe they would be able to to do. But but people, the book really spoke to a lot of people, a, a diverse uh, uh, diverse audience. Many people found uh, great stuff in it, and it affected many people. And so they were able to get Hollywood to do it. And of course, then the the task has been keeping the book on track uh, with its intended purpose. And not allowing Hollywood to, uh, to to damage its message in any way, and so that was a apparently a very big um, uh, undertaking for them. But but they're very happy with the way the movie has turned out, and so it has come out um, recently, and it's not getting good reviews. Rotten Tomatoes has has uh, rated it as one of the the lowest uh, rated movies of the year. Of course, we're just in March. Um, so we'll see. Uh, hopefully that will will increase as people understand the movie. But as I said, when I first read the book, I don't think I really got it. 
I wasn't in the right place to get it, and I I would not have ranked it probably uh, very high. But since that time, my my own uh, theology has has grown, uh, and it has come to encompass many of the principles and beliefs as found in the shack. And now the book really, really uh, speaks to me. Now, I haven't been able to see the movie yet. I live in Japan, and it doesn't even have a release date yet here. Uh, so I'm not sure when I will be able to see it, but most likely I will, I will get it on iTunes uh, way before it comes out in Japan. Um, so we'll see. But, so, yeah, The Shack. Um, people are having a hard time with it, a lot of people. Uh, people uh, whose theology already kind of goes that direction tend to to uh, enjoy it, to get it. People who don't take the movie or the book or the movie very seriously and don't allow it to, to really change their theological views, take it kind of on a surface, seem to enjoy it. Uh, but people who have a very, very uh, uh, sure idea of what they believe, and especially those who are uh, fundamentalist or conservative uh, even, uh, evangelicals, uh, find it a very difficult movie uh, or book um, to take uh, because it does challenge the traditional views of God. And I would say that that, in my opinion, that's the, the stated... Uh, stated, in my opinion, the stated doesn't make sense. But anyway, in my opinion, what they were after is to help people discover just who God is, just who He really is, uh, not who He is in the way uh, you know we read Scripture or from what our tradition tells us, but but more closely who God is. And I think the, the standard that they use is Jesus. And that is, God is exactly Jesus. Jesus is exactly God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is uh, God himself. To see Jesus is to see God. And so everything to be known about God, we can, we can know by knowing Jesus. Um, which is a pretty great picture of God, if you think about it. Um, pretty wonderful. Not many people... Uh, disagree with Jesus. Most people disagree with the God of the Old Testament when they have disagreements. And so what this what this would say is that <clears throat> our view of who God is is skewed or bent uh, or corrupted by lots of stuff. And the book seeks to uh, help us understand better just who God is. All right, I'm becoming redundant. Uh, so, uh, a lot of people, some people who don't get the book at all have reviewed it and not liked it. Some people who only read part of the book, uh, and then gave up on it or, or disagreed with it so they couldn't finish it, have decided to, to speak on it, to, to condemn the book, even though they haven't finished it. Um... Uh, some groups are boycotting the book or calling for, for a boycotting of the movie and or the book. Uh, and so it's it's really uh, ticked off a lot of people. Um, uh, there's a whole other 
uh, portion of the population who, when they read it, they go, aha, wow, that's so much better. Um, it answers uh, the longings of our heart for the God that we really need. And when you find out that God truly is the God that you really longed for and the God that, that humanity really needs, uh, you realize that religion has gotten it wrong. And I mean all religions uh, have, have, have gotten who God is wrong uh, all these years, and that includes Christianity. Uh, whether it's Catholicism or, or uh, Protestantism, by and large, um, uh, we've allowed those traditions to go away from a better understanding, a, 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 a truer understanding of just who our God is. And once you figure out who He is, it's, it's just flabbergasting. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, you, you're kind of floored by it to know that God is as good as we always hoped He was, but we couldn't figure out why He seemed to be so bad in the Old Testament. <clears throat> uh, one scripture that came across my feed this morning, well, two scriptures, by uh, Jacob Wright, who is a, a guy that I follow on Facebook, a young theologian, uh, who I think gets this stuff very well. He wrote, uh, first of all, he quoted a scripture from Deuteronomy that, um, just paraphrasing, but it said something like, uh, obey the Lord or face the consequences. Um, and the Lord takes pleasure in your destruction. The Lord takes pleasure in sending you plagues. Uh, so basically it says, you know, obey God or watch out. He's going to, he's going to destroy you or hurt you and enjoy doing it. <clears throat> uh, and then that was in Deuteronomy. And then Ezekiel, another scripture that he quoted, basically said that God, Ezekiel is quoting God himself. God says uh, that he takes no pleasure in any death, in anyone's death. He doesn't, doesn't take pleasure in death at all. <clears throat> and then you go on to Jesus uh, and Jesus says things like love your enemy pray for those who persecute you turn the other cheek uh, and he, he practices that himself God himself practices uh, absorbing the abuse of man without taking retribution and just the opposite he he pays uh, with his blood uh, to defeat sin and to defeat death, thereby saving mankind. Um, and so what Jacob was saying in this, and I think uh, it's what I now believe, uh, is that from Deuteronomy to Ezekiel and to Jesus, you can see a progression in theology that the people are progressing uh, in the way that they think about God. They're understanding God better and better as time progresses. Uh, and I would say from Jesus to today, we, we also see that progression uh, in some people even more. Uh, 
and that theology is a progressing thing, which is a side note. I was thinking, you know, I call this show Driving Theology, and I was thinking that driving, you know, the, the, just the idea of driving is going forward, moving, uh, progressing, driving. Uh, um, you know, we, we talk about the word driven, um, motivated, if you will, um, theology. But that's definitely how my own theology has been. It has progressed um, from the time that I was a kid, uh, when I was first introduced to the stories in the Bible, to the time when I was, uh, I'm not sure when the next progression would be, but probably to the time when I was about 30, was a, another big milestone, and another big milestone was probably when I was about 33, 34. Another one uh, when I was about 40. And I would say another one, uh, even recently, that there are these milestones that I can point in back in my life to where my theology uh, took a leap. My understanding of God uh, leapt up, that I was uh, able to understand God more than I had before. Uh, and what Jacob is saying is that he sees this in the Bible. That that's one way that you can make sense of the obvious, um, what do you call that, contradictions, the obvious contradictions that are found in the Bible is that uh, theology was progressing. People were, were simply recording what they were seeing with God, but the attributes or the characteristics that they ascribed to God were from their limited understanding. And, and so they did it honestly, but, but at least partially mistakenly. Uh, when they attributed things to God that were not actually God's attributes, <clears throat> which is a very interesting concept. Um, yeah, and so uh, I have uh, unfortunately got into a few uh, somewhat heated discussions online with with people who have taken issue or misrepresented the book. Or its motives. Uh, one guy just a few a few hours ago said, "Yeah, well, I read the book and it wasn't great, and the movie I'm sure is going to be horrible too. Uh, and if I remember correctly, yeah, they were doing a lot of mystical stuff, and and they were they were uh, you know teaching Hindu things, and and you know other people uh, say that it's very New Age, right? That whatever New Age theology is that." that that has come into the book, and things like this. Uh, one thing yesterday, where yesterday or the day before, I don't remember, but somebody had, uh, my my uh, my cousin's daughter, had posted that she only read half the book, and that, and therefore, you know, she quit because it was horrible, it was making her feel bad. She didn't like it, and so she she judged the book right there without even finishing it. And then she said that she she supported this other guy who, who had read the book and reviewed it. And she said, yeah, I agree with him completely. So she agrees with the guy completely about the conclusions he came to by reading the book, even though she didn't read the book. Anyway, that kind of... Uh, that, that's, just, that's just bad form to me to, to try to review a book... Uh, that you haven't read. 
so anyway, I, I kind of tried to sit her down and, and, you know, let her know that, you know, what this guy says is misrepresenting the book. And I believe that completely. So I ended up taking, he, he had six or seven points, I don't remember, but he said there's seven reasons why you should not go see the shack. And so I took each of his points and refuted them from what I knew about the book. And some of his points were complete false, that he said that the book says exactly the opposite of what it says. Uh, some of them were just from a, a lack of understanding uh, in what the book was saying. Um, uh, or just a lack of looking at the nuance, taking it at face value, but not, not thinking very deeply about it. And then other things were just because he has a skewed theology. You know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't quite, his theology is not, uh, representing the God is found in Jesus very well. And if that's you, you're not going to get this book very well. However, if you go into it, this is this is what I think. I think it, the book, is very theologically sound. It's a nuanced theology. It's a, it's a theology that's very deep, uh, and it's not it's not a theology that you will find by reading the Bible just on the surface. Uh, you have to go deep, and you have to read with understanding, and and dare I say, read with the the help of the Spirit to understand these things. Um, but you're not going to find uh, the theology in the shack on the surface of the Bible. It's just not there. You're going to have to. You're going to have to have an intelligent. Um, I'm not trying to be arrogant here, but you're going to have to have a a deeper theolo- theological understanding to get it. But if you don't have that. And yet you read with an open mind. I think you could you could begin to have it by reading this book. I think it's going to affect a lot of people that way. And really, some of the some of the objections to to the shack uh, are just laughable. You know, for example, they they object to God uh, coming in the form of a woman, uh, but he also comes in the form of a man in this. You know, so it's anyway. Uh, so, yeah, the shack. Uh, I think if people give it a chance that it's going to help them go down the road toward a truer understanding of who God is. And I think that's a great endeavor. I think, I think you know, as Paul said, uh, everything else is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Um and, you know, Paul said this many times, he wants to know Christ. But that's the, the desire of his heart. And when he says that everything else is rubbish, what he's saying is that that's the one thing that is worth pursuing in this world. That's his opinion. But that's the one thing that's worth pursuing is is knowing Christ. <clears throat> um, so... Yeah, get out and see the shack. I highly recommend it. Um, I just don't think you can go wrong with either the book, uh, either the book or uh, the movie, as long as the movie is is as true to the book as I hope it is. 
Um, well, let's see. What else do we have? Um, so, let's talk about that pr- progression of theology and the possibility that that everything in the in the Bible is should not be taken at face value. For example, when in Deuteronomy it says the Lord takes pleasure in sending plagues upon the disobedient and in destroying the disobedient. Um, how can you read that? How can anybody read that and not see a glaring contradiction? Um, it doesn't sound like God is love. I would not say I am love, but I do take pleasure in causing people pain and suffering and destroying them. That would be a contradiction if I said it. So if we say that about God, how is that not a contradiction? Now, some people say that, well, because of God's holiness. God is, is a holy God. Therefore, any evil that we ascribe to God can't be truly evil because he's holy. Right? Because he is God. In other words, he has a license to do evil. And who can judge God, you know? Therefore, he can do evil uh, or something that looks evil to us, but obviously it's not evil because he's a holy God. Well, that just seems like the runaround to me. Um, I prefer to say God is a holy God. God neither does evil or calls us to do evil. Uh, However, people have have seen things happen in the world uh, and from their limited view they have uh, anthropomorphized God's uh, motives or uh, blamed God for, for things that have happened when indeed they were just the consequences of sin just the consequences, or just the consequences of living in a broken world, the world that was broken by sin. And so when uh, apparently Moses, who wrote Deuteronomy, I know that's debatable, but let's just say Moses, it doesn't really matter who did it, but let's say Moses wrote Deuteronomy. Well, Moses was a man. Moses was uh, raised uh, in Egypt as an Egyptian prince. Uh, He Uh, married into a family that had a different religion than he did after he left Egypt, even though he was uh, an Israelite. He later became the leader of the Israelites uh, and really the the head priest of their religion. Uh, And even he didn't quite understand from his perspective, that God is love. I don't think he understood that at all. I think Moses would have said, fear God, because God is powerful. And God uh, God punishes those who disobey him. Okay? Well, from Moses' per- perspective as a man, if, if he were to be in charge, say like Pharaoh, the house... Uh, you know, he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. If Pharaoh was disobeyed, Pharaoh would just 
kill. He would kill the people that disobeyed him or punish them or throw them in prison or whatever. He had absolute power. God is a higher king. Therefore, God's power must be even more absolute. Uh, and I can see where Moses would ascribe human characteristics to God, thinking that when God is offended or disobeyed, that he would do the same thing that uh, a man would do, but just with more power. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think we do that with everything, even even animals. Okay, so uh, I've got a dog. I've, I've talked about my new pup, uh, Jack, before. It's easy for us to see an animal and then to think that when something happens, they would feel the same way that I would feel, right? So let's say, for example, I come in, I don't see the dog, and I step on his foot. And he yelps and runs away. And then the next time I see him, for whatever reason, he doesn't want to come to me. Well, what you might say is, well, the dog's mad at you. The dog's mad. He, You stepped on him before, and now he's mad at you. He's afraid of you. Uh, you know, he, he's angry with you. He doesn't want to come. To say a dog's mad um, is to is to give a dog, you know, the attributes of humans. Uh, now, he may be afraid. Yes, he may remember that that happened, and he may associate me with pain. But that doesn't mean he's mad. But it, but it'd be easy enough for us to say that, right? Because we we know how we would feel and we tend to project our motives and feelings on those around us. That's quite natural. That's what people do. Um, and so if, <clears throat> if Moses were to do that, you know, thinking about Moses's background and the era in which he lived, um, and the way that God was interacting with the people, uh, I can see that Moses from his perspective, uh, saw things a certain way and just wrote them the way he saw them. Um, the problem with that today is uh, we have Jesus. We have the perfect image of the invisible God. We know who God is because we know who Jesus is. We can read the Gospels. Uh, we have uh, his life living in us, presumably, if, if we are... Uh, believers and and followers of him we have him living in us and we we can know much better who God is than than Moses did uh because we have Jesus Jesus showed us who God is uh to see him Jesus said is to see God uh, if you've seen me you've seen the father uh and so we really don't have any excuse to ascribe human characteristics and motives uh, to God because we have the example of Jesus <clears throat> which is a huge advancement you know it's almost like we, we have the uh, the cheat sheet we have the answers to the test you know if the question is who is God well Moses uh, you know he had no answers to work with he was just making it up as he went along by what he saw uh, he didn't have scripture to read. Uh, he he didn't have prophets to read about. He really only knew what he saw and what he experienced directly. 
uh, and and what he already knew of gods and deities that he had learned about in Egypt. Whereas today we have all of Scripture, we also have Jesus Himself, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have a great advantage, and our understanding of God should be much greater than Moses' understanding. And yet, many of us want to want to go back to Moses' understanding of God and say, God is a jealous God, or God is an angry God, or, or uh, if you don't obey God, His wrath will befall you. Um, but, that God never really existed. God was always like Jesus. He was always like Jesus. But unfortunately, he was in the hands of limited human beings who were recording as best they could who God was. And that record is still important for us. But it's important for us to read it in light of Jesus. Jesus does not need to subject himself to the Old Testament. Just the opposite. The Old Testament, the prophets, and the law are subject to Jesus. They are to be understood through Jesus. And that gives us every advantage today. Every advantage to see God for who he really is. Uh, and and this, this God that I am learning more, more and more about through Jesus uh, is truly a good God. A just God. A merciful and kind and loving God. And that's all. He isn't anything more than that. Everything he is is bound up in the person of Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. And Jesus is, is dedicated to reconciling the entire world to himself. He won't rest until he does. He's determined. He is determined. And I'm going to leave it there for today. Um, I'll try to get this up maybe right now, actually, if I feel motivated. Um, and uh, I just have one reason for you to see the shack. One reason. And I think it's the only reason you need. In the shack, you just might meet God. All right. Peace. Talk to you guys later.